Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks, two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Mark Bates. Mark, long time no see. You want to say hello? Hey, Charles. How you doing, man? Doing all right. We yeah, had it's you been a while. Episode, what, 198? I looked it up before the show. It's like, wow, I have a good memory. No, I looked it up before the show. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, episode 198, I think we talked about uh, Ruby and other communities and stuff like that. Yeah, I think at the time it was Scott and I, Scott Feinberg and I, yeah. we were probably talking about Happiness Conf, which was the conference we were trying to start at the time, uh, but never took off, mostly because Paper Call came out of our discussions around that conference. And so we ended up building Paper Call instead of doing that conference. But yeah, oh, I, remember nice. that. I remember that Ruby, Ruby Rogues uh, episode. Yeah, it was quite fun. Yep, that's what it was, expanding the Ruby community values to other languages. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm doing that just not through conferences, but in other languages now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, before we got started that you're working in Go now, which is also interesting. But we'll we'll okay, dive into yeah. that a little bit more. Yeah. But yeah, you're also the author of Distributed Programming with Ruby. That is correct. Yeah, bringing back some memories. I think that came out what 2009. It was my f- second son had just been born days before it went to print. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I had to update from the hospital room, update all of the acknowledgements and thanks. <laughs> Try to include him and I missed one. Or I think I said, I love you both. And, and, may, and it should have been, I love all three of you. But yeah, gotcha. so 2000, I always sticks in my head because I remember I was gestating the book while my wife was gestating Leo. <laughs> nice. Yeah. How many kids do you have? Uh, just the two, just two, two boys, yeah. You say just two, like that's not enough work. <laughs> oh no, it's plenty. <laughs> oh, oh I, believe me, I know. I have five, so I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on Amazon it says it was published November fifteenth, twenty oh nine. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. That jives. Leo's birthday's next week, so <laughs> good deal. Happy birthday, buddy. Exactly. Well, let's let's go ahead and talk about your journey into Ruby, and then, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, I'd like to talk about your journey out of Ruby. Sure, sure. I, I I can talk about both quite happily. Awesome. They, they're quite symbiotic in some ways. That's interesting. Let let's let's back up even further though. How did you get into programming? Ah, now that is an interesting story, and it does actually lead into how I got into Ruby in the first place. I actually have a degree in music. I went to school in uh, England for three years and studied uh, guitar there, and that's where I met my wife. English, mm-hmm. obviously. And when I came back, it was 1999. I needed a job. If you could spell HTML at the time, it was like 30K. (laughs) If you knew what it meant, it was another five. And thankfully, I knew what it meant. I had built some websites when I was in Liverpool for my band. I always joke I I created the first blog for my parents back in 1996 so they could 
you know, know what I was doing. Some band, you know, I did it for my bands, for other bands in Liverpool, for a case of beer or guitar pedal or an opening slot and a bill. Uh, and then the school ended up paying me to do it. So I actually had a small portfolio for no other reason other than it was just fun to do. And uh, I got a job and that transitioned, kind of fell in love with I was doing UX development and then started talking with the developers, fell in love with, don't hate me for this, but fell in love with Java at the time and thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Look at all the cool stuff I can do here. And then moved into kind of straight development. So that's kind of how I got into development. I, I, it was really, I always joke, I fell ass backwards into it. Uh, in a lot of ways. I, I needed money. I, and it, it was something that I happened to have skills for it at a time the market desperately needed those skills. And after that, it just turned into me actually falling in love with it as a career and as a, as a thing I do. And I find it very creative. And that led to me being very passionate still about uh, my own education as well as the education of others. But yeah, that's how I got into it. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. What, what aspect of music did you... Uh, I'm a singer-songwriter, so I, you know, okay. I play in a lot of rock bands, jump around the stage a lot, that sort of thing. So guitar or guitar? Yeah, okay. guitar. Uh, matter of fact, there, you know, I, I'm I'm quite active in the Go community. We'll get to that in a minute. But recently, we just had GopherCon, and we have the GopherCon band now, which is the second year we've done this. Where Go, you know, uh, Gophers like myself get up and we play. And I was actually sharing the stage with quite a few ex or uh, former Rubyists like Ron Evans playing harmonica next to me uh-huh. on Mary Jane's Last Dance and Brian Kettleson, Eric St. Martin, along with a few others. So it's always quite fun. I love when music and my tech stuff always kind of syncs up like that. Yeah, I remember back in the day, they don't do this anymore, but they used yeah. to have jam sessions at RubyConf. Yeah, that was all Ron. Yeah. So yeah, Jim Wyrick would get up with his ukulele and... God bless Jim. Yeah, I, I, I should say the late Jim Wire, but yeah, yeah, I still miss that guy. I, I um, miss him like nobody's business. Yeah, he 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 deeply influenced my story, but this is about your story. It deeply influenced my speaking career. I can tell you that much. I've got some great stories about Jim Wire, as everybody does, actually. But. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you'd also get, I think, uh, Chad Fowler. Yeah, I mean, he was a professional saxophonist for a long time. And yeah, Chad, great musician. So yeah, it's. And it's interesting too, you know, just how much crossover there I find uh, between music and programmers. Now, I am not a talented musician. I I did sing in choir in high school. Well, I never said I was talented. (laughs) You've been paid for your music. I haven't. (laughs) I don't don't know if a case of beer counts, but let's go for it. Sure. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But, But yeah, you know, and a lot of people that I've talked to that are musicians, yeah, it was, well, I needed to modify my MySpace page for a band or right. I set up a web page for the band or whatever. And then my yeah. boss found out, wait, you can do web? And it's like, yeah, I know six tags in HTML. That was good <laughs> enough. So that was, that, I mean, that wasn't too far off from my story. It was kind of like, everybody was like, oh, you know how to do it? I'm like, I, I can do view source. Yeah. And um, I'm smart enough to to figure out that I'm missing a tag. Like, you know, that's I can I can debug, quote unquote, that sort of stuff. That was what put me ahead of everybody else in 1997, 98. 98. I know, right? Right. I, I was in high school doing that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I had done some uh, work at Lotus. Don't get too excited. It was just data entry in their security department <laughs> uh, before I went to England. And uh, one of the engineers there you know, helped me out a lot. And one of the first things he told me was view source. 
Uh-huh. I was like, what does that mean? And he's like, it shows you the entire source of the page. And I was, my yeah. mind was blown. And in 1996, that was the entire source of the website. <laughs> like, that was yeah. it. That was the entire source. You could see everything that made up that page with one click of a button. So yeah, it wasn't hard like back then. Line. Oh, yeah, the good old days. Right? Like, it really wasn't hard to start building these static websites back then because you could see exactly what was happening and there wasn't magic on the other side yet anyway. Or at least not that was available to mere mortals like us. Right. Right? Like, now I feel like that is something that anybody can do. Anybody can swim, you know, spin up a dynamic application in an afternoon, whether it be going to the console with Rails or something like that, or there are tools now that let you do all this. Yep. Like, you know... There are a zillion of them. Yeah. And what's interesting is some of these tools like Yeoman Generator, for example, in mm-hmm. JavaScript, like you don't even have to generate a JavaScript project with Yeoman. You can generate anything yeah. you want. Okay. And so it really just comes down to, can I find the template and make it go? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so yeah, programming's come a long way. It's I think I think it is harder to learn now than it was when I, when I grew up. But anyway, I don't think we're talking about that. We're... <laughs> No, not really, but it is interesting. And yeah. a lot of people, you know, as we talk about some of these things, you know, it, it was a different time then, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't know if it's easier or harder to come into the programming profession at this point or not. And that's, you know, I mean, we have boot camps and so many programs out there to help people do it. But at the same time, it feels like it was a lot simpler way back in the day. Professionally, what I do now is go training. So I go to companies and I do training around the world. So education is something that obviously is the top of my mind and, and how people learn this stuff. I can, I can almost relate it to my story. I can't speak for others. When I was doing it, you know, there was lack of books or materials on the subject for a start, right. uh, you know, which is definitely an advantage that people have now and almost too much material. Yeah. There's, you know, and, and it goes out of date so quickly, obviously. Uh, and I actually tweeted about that the other day because, you know, for reading a tori- tutorial or video that's over six months old, you cannot that video as gospel anymore, that tutorial right. is gospel. It's now just a guide demonstrating something that was at flashpoint in time. But back then, you know, so you, there is a, that, but you now have to figure out how to weed out all that that bad material. I often do Google searches that are very restricted for the last three months, last six months when I'm searching for something. Right. Because there's no point looking for stuff, some stuff that's three years old. It's not going to help me fix that problem with JavaScript, you know, with view, view or something like that, is uh-huh. it? You're just going to get a lot of bad results. So there's a lot more now, but they have to dig a lot harder. Back then, there was, I think, a lot less to us mere mortals, but there was no way to learn it. It was very, like, stumble across it and hope for the best, fingers crossed. Right. <laughs> kind of way of working. And we didn't have, you know, nice tools and debuggers and you know, good environments and IDEs. I mean, I use Notepad um, to, to write websites, you know, and it was, yeah. it was hard back then. I think a little harder. <laughs> I remember writing in Notepad yeah. and then I think I found a program called Notepad++. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but I think now there's a lot more concepts. I think yeah. you can't just jump in to say, I'm going to build a website for my, for my band. Like, that is, those days are gone. If you want to do that, you go to one of those companies that offers that sort of a service. Now, yeah. you know, if you want to say, I want to build an app, I think, you know, with the way the back ends are working, with the way front ends are working now, with the way relational and non-relational data stores work, with 
real-time messaging, what's expected of an application these days as far as a customer is concerned, mm -hmm. the way it responds and the way it behaves and the infrastructure behind that, the deployment tools have gotten certainly more complex and, and sophisticated. And Kubernetes alone is a subject you could, spend, oh yeah, you know, months, years yeah. delving into at this point. And this is all stuff new developers have to, you know, come on board with in, in ten weeks of a boot camp. Mm -hmm. Right? They need to learn SQL, JavaScript, Ruby, HTML. God knows whatever else gets thrown at them. And some of these tools become ecosystems unto themselves, like uh, Webpack. That is a language and an ecosystem that is its own at this point, much like Rails is. So there's a yeah, lot. I think, I think people get overwhelmed, and I see that a lot when I talk to new developers. The general sense of, I've got to learn 10 languages simultaneously, 10 tool chains, 10 uh -huh. different concepts and ways of working just to get Hello World out to the screen. It is complex and daunting for the very first time. I think, you know, after 20 years, people like myself, you know, we, we take that data in over time. And I consider myself fortunate to have grown up with this industry at this point. Uh -huh. Obviously, the internet goes back further than when I started professionally coding 20 years ago, but not much further. Right. <laughs> You know, I think coming in at the start of the boom, that dot-com boom, really, to me, was where that signaled the start of the internet, right? What we consider. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So when you've been in it that long, you can take those things in and you, those things become second knowledge. And you just understand how Postgres works and how SQL works, right? But for new developers, it's, it's hard. And I don't envy them these days, having to learn Node and NPM just so they can do front-end work. <laughs> I agree. I'm a little curious, you know, talking about how the internet's kind of gotten more complicated as hmm. gone along, you know, you, you get in, you're writing web, web pages, and then, you know, you're maybe doing some Java. What, what led you to, to Ruby on Rails? Because that complicated things, right? It wasn't just HTML anymore, but it oh, also yeah. had a lot more power. Yeah, you know, no. How do you find um, Ruby on Rails? Uh, so, uh, and <laughs> this is where the part of the story gets interesting. Uh, in 2004, I had just finished a Java project that had uh, roughly about 100,000 lines of XML configuration. Oh, oh, I, was, I thought you were going to say lines of code. And I'm just like, like, wow, that's a big app. Yeah, no, it was configuration. XML config. Yeah, just, just, oh, wow. Because <laughs> everything uh, in Java at that point was XML. Oh, yeah. Right. So it was struts and hibernate and ant and maven and all this stuff. It was all... People using XML as a programming language, uh -huh. using it and abusing it for anybody who remembers those days. And so you'd have ant generators, which were XML scripts themselves, right. uh, you know, ant tasks that would go through and generate from stuff. You know, I had ant tasks that would go through from all my models and generate all the hibernate XML config for those things and the migration. And it was just insane. And I, I kind of stopped, took stock of my life and said, is this really what I want to do with my life? I enjoyed the initial rush of programming. I did not enjoy spending so much time debugging XML, you know, and that's the God's honest oh, truth. Like, I, I, I know, right? So I much fun. Of it. And it wasn't fun. I was like, if I could do the Java, but without the XML, I might be happy, but uh -huh. I'm, you know, as I'm as I was looking at Java's future in 2004, it was enterprise Java beans and everything was XML. Right. Everything was being pushed. What soap was being pushed hard. Everything was 
XML, 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 XLS and XLST and all that sort of stuff. You remember? Right. And I didn't want to be in that world. I didn't want to work with XML anymore. So I quit development entirely. I always joke I rage quit. And I went and worked in a recording <laughs> studio for two years where I started as an unpaid intern and worked my way up to an assistant engineer in two years. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So it was a transition in life. You can imagine going from a you know nice FTE full-time developer gig to being an unpaid T-boy, you know, getting people uh-huh. burritos at lunch and cleaning, you know, emptying the dishwasher and God only knows what the singer of the band did in the bathroom, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, but I was significantly happier, especially near the end when I was actually engineering bands and I got to work with a lot of really great people. Right. Uh, and thoroughly enjoyed it. But, the, you know, the, there was obviously a lack of money um, mm-hmm. as well as a lack of general employment. It's not exactly the, you know, the highest trending growth industry in the world, recording studios, um, not these days anyway. Right. So that was always a problem. We wanted to have kids. So there was that discussion starting to come in. And simultaneously at the end of 2005, a friend of mine we were out having some drinks one night and he said, have you seen this Ruby on Rails thing? And I said, no, dude, I'm out. And he's like, no, you've got to check it out. It's, it's remarkable. I said, I told you, Greg, I'm out. And he's like, no, you've got, to, you've, you've got to see this thing. It's not Java. I swear to you, there's no XML. You're going to love it. So the next day, I you know, begrudgingly and reluctantly installed it, found some random O'Reilly cookbook tutorial from 2005. Those from the time will remember exactly the tutorial I'm talking about because uh, it was the only <laughs> tutorial on the web. And I was immediately struck with how that was what I wanted programming to be. Right. And it was what I think everybody hit when they play with Rails in Ruby back in that time. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, when did you come into Ruby? When was it? So I picked it up when I was working for Mosey. I was actually working QA and tech support. Right. But I had done PHP, like LAMP stack before then. Mm-hmm. Um, really heinous LAMP stack. But it was oh, yeah. all on my own, my own projects. I had done HTML and stuff, you know, before that. And yeah, I picked it up and I'm like, Wow, because and and I have to also say I was a computer engineering major, so right. I did Java and C plus plus and C in college, and I was just like, yeah, this programming thing is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like it's dumb. I'm gonna go be an IT professional and get paid real money to do real work. Right. And I picked up Ruby on Rails and I was like, wow, this is great, and I can actually make something useful with it. Yeah, and that's what blew me away was how quick. I could turn something around and no XML. And that was amazing to me. Yep. And so, yeah, he really hooked me, that, that jerk. Uh, <laughs> got me back into it. And, you know, like that Christmas, I did an app for my family's Christmas swap. My poor family, I, I write apps for everything when I'm trying things out. So they always get these strange little quirky apps when I'm learning development or learning a new tool or something. So they got a Christmas swap app that year written in Rails with SQL and the views and everything. It was terrible because there was no documentation to tell us how right. to do anything. There was no books. There was no nothing. Uh, actually, I think the Agile book was out. I think. Oh, by Sam Ruby? No, no. Agile Web Development, the DHH and Dave Thomas book, the original one. Oh, the Pickaxe book? 
No, no, no. After the pickaxe, they did agile web, web development, web development with, with Rails. Rails. Yeah. Yeah. But V1 was DHH. So V1 was DHH. And Dave Thomas. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah I, I know Sam's done the subsequent versions. Oh, yeah. No, I only read the first one. There was only, I think that was only the only two Ruby books in the English market by that, at that right. point for me. The pickaxe, which I also read, um, and agile web development uh, with Rails. Um, but yeah, it changed, I think, it changed my career and it changed, well, I think it changed web development entirely. Right. For all its foibles, for all the, the grief we give Rails, and, you know, it, it deserves some of the grief it gets, absolutely. It did change the world. And DHH certainly changed the way we think about how web development should work. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So what have you done in Ruby that you're particularly proud of? I know you wrote the book. I don't know if, what was it, the speaker website that you mentioned? Oh, Paper Call. My greatest achievement in Ruby probably wasn't code-based. I know it's weird to think about that, but I think I'm most proud of the time I spent running Boston RB. Nice. Um, I spent three years there, and along with you know, a couple other great co-organizers who changed out over the years, but Dan Pickett, and Johnny Borsico, and Tim Raymond. And during those three years, we had just an amazing group. And we had to kick people out every month, like kick people, not out, <laughs> uh, turn people away at the door because we didn't have enough space. We would cap out oh, at 100, wow. 150 people every month. And that was the biggest space we could get once a month. You know, we had all, you know, we had good sponsors and people were literally clamoring to get in the door and get tickets. And they would, they would not sell out because they were free, but the registrations would snap up Day with they were like concert tickets sometimes. It was quite fun because we were putting on these mini conferences. We created, we were talking about Jim Wyrick earlier. Uh-huh. We created this program during that time called the Wyrick Fellowship. And it was shortly after he died. And we had this Wyrick Fellowship where we were getting sponsors in Boston to fly national speakers out to Boston to give talks at Boston Ruby. Yeah, Boston. Oh, Army. wow. Uh, yeah, so I, I was able to use a lot of my connections in the Ruby world to pull in, you know, Sarah May and Michael Hartle and Richard Sneeman and all these great speakers to come to Boston and give their give their national conference talks to all these people who couldn't get to these national conferences and get to meet these right. these these bigger speakers who might otherwise not get to come to a, a local meetup because it's hard for these speakers. Mm-hmm. They can't just justify going to a local meetup. Like they're not going to pay the cost, but if we can fly them out, whatever, and it's great. Right. It was great for the companies that were behind it, as well as for the people there. So for me, that was probably the thing I'm most proud of in my time in the Ruby community was what we did with that Boston Ruby group for those three years. Awesome. It's interesting, you know, you, you talk about some of these things. And I mean, that really, at least for me, epitomizes why I asked the question in the first place. Mm. It's because a lot of times, you know, I've talked to people who have built Anyway, systems or libraries that a lot of people use. Right. It's like, what are you most proud of? And yeah, about half the time it's, well, I did this thing in the community. Right. You know, I helped I helped people. <laughs> and it's I mean, that's just awesome. It's, well, that's the that's the thing that feels the best. Oh, absolutely. That's why I'm in this. It's it's funny because people are like, Oh, so do you like being famous? I'm like, No, I like talking to people and solving their problems. Yeah. That's, you know, I always say, like I said, I do training for a living and I always, I'm very, I love that because I get to work with developers all around the world. Like, you know, these, their companies pay me to come in and make them better developers. And I'd love that. I'm like, sweet. I get to come in and help these people, not just with that company, but that those skills that they've just uh-huh. learned 
are transferable beyond that, right? Their careers have now hopefully been improved after I've left after a few days, right? And I'd love that. And it offers me the freedom to work on a ton of open source stuff, which helps a lot of people and hang out in Slack and go to conferences and do stuff. I think I love love being in a position where I can help people and that I've got a career now based around it. But it's the thing that feels the best. So I, you know, if you ask me, yeah, absolutely. Same thing to Go. It's the Go world. Um, I like the code I've created, but I feel more proud of some of the community stuff I've done over the years there. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a business coach over the last two years, another one last year, and then, uh, you know, the one I have this year. And he pushed me to come up with a mission statement for devchat.tv. And uh, what I came up with was that we liberate software developers to build cutting edge software that makes a difference. In other words, we're helping people learn how to do what they want to do. Yeah. And it's that. It's that where we make a difference. You know, I've talked to people that made career transitions and they got enough of knowledge off of listening to like JavaScript Jabber or Ruby Rogues to go in and actually pass a job interview. Right. From a $20,000 a year job to a $60,000 a year job. And it's yeah. like, yeah, my kid's in a better school and we live in a nicer house. And I'm just like, yeah, you know. It's, it's, it's such a great feeling, you know. And if you can turn that into a career, if you can make a career out of helping those people and pay the bills and put food on your own table... Uh, I think that's a wonderful way to live life. Like, I, you know, like I said, I get to wake up and I get to help people every day. That's all I do. And it's such a great feeling. You know, I don't make yeah. the corporate dollars, but it's good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the book? I mean, where did that come from? That came from a hot tub in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the contents of the book are wildly out of date. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, talking about the contents are kind of useless, but the the origin story is quite hysterical. I had gone to RubyConf Florida in Orlando in 2008. Uh I believe I had just been laid off from a company. So 2008, that was, you know, just the worst time to be laid off. That, you know, October, November 2000. I was laid off in October 2008 which is when everything melted down, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, but I went down there, I was speaking. The company that had laid me off was supposed to pay for everything. I got them to eventually pay for half of it. And I you know, begrudgingly paid the other half because I thought it'd be a good networking event. And it eventually did turn out to be a good networking event. Right. As, as I believe conferences are. I think conferences uh-huh. are better for people than they are for talks, but that's a whole nother discussion. If we have the conferences without the talks, I'd be a lot happier. <laughs> <laughs> I have thought that in the past. But that's a whole other discussion altogether. Yeah, but anyway, uh, and so I went down there and I was going to give a talk on distributed Ruby. I had been doing a lot of it at the company I was at at the time. We were trying to kind of create a Rails-like distributed framework to let us kind of do the things we wanted to with kind of, you know, using DRB to communicate and whatever. Right. So I was giving a talk on that and... While I was there, I got into a hot tub one night because it was it was Orlando. It doesn't sound as weird as it, as it seems. Yeah. And in that hot tub was Ruby, Obi Fernandez. Obi, yeah. Ruby Fernandez. Obi Fernandez, who may have had a few extra margaritas at the time. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not saying I, I hadn't had a few extra margaritas too. And the word extra is key. 
to all that. And we started talking and he's like, oh, I saw your talk today. I thought it was really interesting. I said, oh, thank you. And he said, you know, I'm the editor for the Ruby series in, you know, for Addison Wesley. And I think it'd be really interesting having a book on distributed programming. Would you want to write one? And of course, like every bright-eyed young starlet in Hollywood, I said, of course, I'd love to do one. By the way, never write a book. That's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> don't. It is an awful process. Don't do it. But I said, yeah, I think that'd be great. And so I always joke that, you know, I got my book deal by getting Obi Fernandez uh, drunk in a hot tub in Orlando. But it, it's kind of true. <laughs> it's kind of how it started. Yeah. Uh, sounds like a movie plot to me. <laughs> I don't know if you want to see that movie. <laughs> I don't want to see who would play me. They'd probably get some, uh, you know, chiseled abs guy being hot tub. Well, yeah, of course, obviously. Ryan Gosling or somebody. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I, I think we look alike. I'm so glad there's no not video right now. So people can't really figure out how not close to Ryan Gosling I am. Yeah, you know... Uh, that that would be funny. I should add that question to my repertoire here. Yeah. Which celebrity of your code journey who would play you? I actually do ask that question a lot. Who would play you in the movie of you? My wife and I have had those discussions over the years, and we keep changing our answers as we get older, <laughs> uh, which is quite funny. Uh, I, you know, yeah, I do. I do like that question. Yeah. So, uh, so you want to talk about paper call for a minute, and then we'll talk about moving into Go. Yeah, sure. What do you want to know about paper call? So, so how did that come together? I mean, you said you were pulling together Happiness Conf and then... Yeah, well, I had this idea, you know, as a frequent conference speaker, one of the things I've always hated was applying to conferences where, you, you know, you had to enter Google Docs or whatever, and you type in your name and your biography information and all your details, your talk title and the summary and the body and blah, blah, blah. And you click, you know, your Twitter handle and you click submit. And then you want to enter a second talk because almost no one enters one talk for a conference because everybody knows you have to enter at least a couple to get in. Right. And then you have to do all that same information again. And that felt really tedious and boring and frustrating to me. And then same point, you know, I would do that for conference A. I'd enter two or three talks there. And then I'd go to conference B and go to submit there. And guess what? I had to enter all that same information again. And it really bothered me. And at the time, I had like a Word doc that had all my conference talks on it and my biography information, everything. So I can cut and paste all the details out of it into these web forms. And so when we started talking about Happiness Conf, I said, you know, I have this idea for a CFP app that I'd love to use, you know, write and kind of use for happiness mm -hmm. where we can kind of be a central repository for talks. You put your talks in that system and then you can kind of one-click submit them to other conferences, you know, select it out of a drop-down, right. whatever. And that kind of derailed the rest of the conference, I think, at that point, because when people realized, when Scott realized just how needed that was, just because we we're both peaking at a lot of conferences, and that's how we built it. And, you know, we still maintain it and we still keep it going. It's not our business. We run it for the community. We run it for ourselves. We do have pro option, but that's more to, you know, keep servers going and that sort of alike. But yeah, we, you know, it's for us, it's a passion project that we, that we keep going because it's useful to us and it's useful to the speakers we talk to and the organizers we talk to. And again, it goes back to helping the community as well by giving them this free tool they can all use and, and hopefully make better lives for themselves as developers with their speaker profiles and their links to their talks and that sort of stuff. 
Right. Insert obligatory joke here where we say something about how many hours you spend to save yourself five minutes submitting a talk. Oh, you don't wanna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do it too. I seriously, I I've been working on this system to help podcasters or help, you know, save myself time, you know, managing yeah. the podcast every week. And yeah, I think it'll eventually pay off, especially if I, you know, open it up as a SaaS product. But yeah, for the meantime, sometimes it feels like I'm spending 10 hours for every one hour I save myself. It is true. I, you know, again, I don't do those things until I hit two or three times of repetition. And then yeah. I'm like, okay, this is a problem I need to... No, it's totally fair. And it's a real problem. Yeah. 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 This this was a real problem we had to... And obviously, it was an insane problem to solve. It wasn't like we could... Just just launch it and not you know we need to get the the events of the platform and that obviously yeah. became a challenge at first but but now now it's doing great and people seem to really enjoy it and I'm happy that uh, it's out there for everybody. Nice. So what are you working on now? So these days, like I, said, I run a company called Go for Guides, which is a training company where we do mm-hmm. in person and virtual Go training for corporate companies. A lot of the big Fortune 100 companies we've done. I can't name a lot of names. I can. I think we've got a few on the website, so I can say like Visa and New York Times and a few others that you would definitely know the names of. <laughs> so I get to do that. I get to go around and, and like I said, help those engineers. And then when I'm not doing that, I get to work on open source almost exclusively at that point. So I run a Rails-like web framework called Buffalo in the Go community, as well as run that whole community. I, I organize a couple conferences. Well, I co-organize Go, uh, Gotham Go. Uh, in New York City every year. Um, I organized lightning talks for the big GopherCon and, uh, that was in Denver every year. And this year, next year, we're moving to San Diego. MC a few conferences, including GopherCon UK this year. Run workshops at a lot of those. But uh, primarily working on the open source stuff and helping all these new developers learn Go and get their creations out into the world. Gotcha. So how, how and why did you transition to Go? That's a great question. It happened, what are we, 2018? So about 2012, I started looking at Go. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I ended up in Istanbul for a very long weekend um, with Blake Miserani, who originally wrote Sinatra, for those who go back that far. (laughs) I'm definitely dating myself in this episode. (laughs) I hope you're okay with that. That's okay. We're a good fit together, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. Him and a gentleman by the name of Andrew Guerin, who was on the Go team. And I had already started looking at Go. And both of them, obviously, Andrew was big into Go. He was on the Go team. And Blake was also huge into Go. And they both gave presentations at the conference I was in Istanbul for. And then we spent a long weekend sightseeing and being tourists together whilst discussing Go and talking about Go. And so I always joked that that weekend obviously pushed me over the edge. But what are the things that... a about Go that attracted me, which is probably a better question, Right, is why did I leave Ruby to Go to Go? The concurrency model is incredibly strong in Go, and that's huge for stuff I wanted to write. Uh-huh. Being uh, fully concurrent as opposed to you know being limited by gills and other right. you know, uh, issues that Ruby faces. That was performance. It's a significantly faster language with less memory resources and less CPU resources. So as someone who launches a lot of apps on its own, that's a huge cost-cutting measure. If I can keep my Heroku dynos down to one or two versus four or eight, that's a big 
cost-cutting savings for me. So that was a huge thing. Being able to write portable CLI tools I write a lot of tooling generally in my career. That's some that's a place I like to sit and write a lot of tooling for other developers. So Go Go's ability to create statically built binaries that you can build for, you know, I can I'm on my Mac and I can build one for Windows. I can build one for Linux, for an iPhone, whatever. So that cross-platform ability to very easily build binaries that required zero other dependencies for tooling was a huge sell. Okay. Um, to me. It, honestly, everything but its web story sold me on it back in 2012. <laughs> I loved everything about it. I like the static typing, especially coming from Ruby, which is weird. I know I the fact that it's statically typed compiled, it's the exact opposite of a Ruby language. I also call it a WYSIWYG in that kind of what you see is what you get. There's not a lot of magic in Go. And I liked that after spending years and years trying to grep through source code to find a method that was dynamically generated so I can't find it. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's right. a lot of magic like that in Rails. And there's a lot of magic like that in Rails and in all the gems out there, right? Like who's adding what to active record? You don't know. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's a thing that had burned me several times in the Ruby world. It has burned, I'm assuming, a lot of people, yourself included. Yeah, and I, I just was kind of done with those sets of problems that dynamic languages had, particularly around those things where, you know, things would just behave weirder in different environments because things were getting generated differently on the server versus locally. And it's, uh-huh. and that sort of stuff really, and those problems, I kind of just, I was just kind of done with them and dealing with all of that. And so, yeah, that's that's where Go started attracting me as a language. Like I said, it solved... It was fast. It was very performant. It had a great mm-hmm. concurrency story. It didn't have the magic that Ruby had. You know, what I refactor in Go, I have this nice safety net of this compiler right behind me, right. knowing that I didn't miss anything <laughs> at all. And you can argue like, yeah, tests should cover things. But as you know, like there are always holes in tests. And especially when it comes to metaprogramming, testing becomes infinitely more complex. Yep. Right. That is um, true. That is absolutely true. Yeah. And when you get rid of metaprogramming, your testing becomes a lot simpler. <laughs> um, and the compiler catches a lot of the stuff that in, in Ruby we wrote tests for. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. What happens if I pass a nil to this method that's expecting a string? What happens if I pass a symbol? What happens if I pass a string? What if I pass an int? What if I pass a hash instead? Like, how do I deal with that? And I can't do that in Go. <laughs> so I don't have to write test cases, nor do I have to sit there and write that logic that we used to write in Ruby a lot of, well, if this thing is a hash, then it's this, then do this with it. If it's a symbol, convert it to this thing and then make right. it a hash, right? Like, we don't have to do that anymore. There are restrictions, obviously. You get, you know, you're restricted because you don't have that metaprogramming, because of that magic. And so there are times when things become more verbose than they would be in Ruby, where, you know, you have to maybe cut and paste a little bit more than you'd like to. Uh-huh. But, you know, at the end of the day, those, those to me are the smaller trade-offs, right, for the bigger wins that personally I'm getting out of them. No, I'm not saying right. for everybody, but that's what made me fall in love with, with Go back then. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting language, one that I haven't played with as much as I'd like to. Yeah. But it's always interesting, too, to see, oh, okay, these are the problems I'm solving, and here's why I made the decisions I made. Right. You know, a, a lot of people get defensive about different 
aspects of of the language they love and you know to to that degree i feel like maybe their experience is different depending on what they're building right but yeah the other thing is is i just i love the idea of taking some of the ideas that we've had from our past lives and bringing them in to what we're working on now as well as the idea of just trying a new thing and going oh yeah this this takes care of the problems that drive me crazy and I think eventually with any technology, we also get to the point with that technology to where it's like, okay, it doesn't have these features that drove me nuts over there, but right. it has these other problems that drive me nuts over here. <laughs> right, exactly, right. It's you know, the new kid on the block. Currently, you know, like I said, I'm happy with it, but you know, it's fun. It, it's like I said, to try to pull some of those ideas over. It's, I, was, I, you know, I, hate, I don't want to be one of those people who fights the idiomatic style of a language to bring in my old ideas. You see that all the time. People yeah. Bring, you know, I certainly did it where I brought my Java programming style to Ruby in 2005, 2006, because I didn't know any better, right? Like, and I see people bring their Java, their Ruby and PHP to go all the time. So that's one concept I think you do need to let go. You do need to let go of your st- those styles and be more idiomatic. But bringing over some of the more interesting concepts is more fun. Like as part of Buffalo, we've got uh, what we call GRIFs, what I call GRIFs anyway, which are rake tasks, basically. Matter of fact, you can even run the GRIFT Jim command. It'll print off a nice big picture of Jim Wyrick and, and, and a little link about him and talk about him. But it gives that same flexibility that rake scripts give to Rails and to Ruby apps where you can write these little one-off scripts that do whatever you need them to do, but you can write them in Go, for example, which is hard to do when it's compiled language. How do you write one-off scripts when it's compiled and there's no executable involved? So offering that sort of same level of ease of use where you can just write in Griff DB migrate or Griff DB seed, whatever, and just have it run this function that you wrote somewhere. Bring that level of ease of use that Ruby and Rails and Rake and tools like that give to developers and bringing it to the Go world is a challenge and unto itself, and one I've been working on for the past couple of years now. But, but I like bringing those ideas over because I think that's a place where that story was missing from Go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's part of the success of Rails and Ruby's story. Yep, pulling and the ease of use on the developer side for everybody. Nice. All right. Well, let's go do some picks. You have some picks for us this week. Do you run your own freelance business, or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Picks. Oh, I'm going to pick Go. <laughs> <laughs> I know that seems obvious. Definitely going to pick Go. I'm going to give a little plug to uh, GoBuffalo.io, which is the Buffalo web framework for Go. That's kind of the Rails equivalent in the Go world. So if there are any Rails people out there who want to try it, 
I'm going to plug Boston RB because got to support my home team. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, I think that's... Oh, and Jim Wyrick. Yep. People need to go and look up Jim Wyrick and maybe do some Google searches, watch some of his talks. That's... Yeah, that would be my biggest one. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. He's He's got some classics that are just... He he gave one, if I can give a real quick Jim Wyrick Boston RB story before we go uh-huh. and I'll tell you a talk to look up. So we had a speaker cancel one time and this was obviously before Jim died. And Jim happened to be about 45 minutes outside of Boston doing some training for a company. I emailed him because we'd known each other through the speaker world right. uh, and said, can you come to Boston? And his response was an emphatic, sure, you just need to get somebody to drive me up to Boston. I'm happy to come. And someone... Someone volunteered in the mailing list. He came up two days later, stood up in front of the group and said, hey, everybody, I got three different talks. You want to, you know, I got this, this talk, this talk, and this talk. Everybody think about it. I'm going to show you some videos about this drone stuff I've been working on, which is insane back <laughs> then. Uh, he showed this little video, and then he did a live uh, Roman numeral code kata in, in, on, you know, short notice in front of uh, Boston RB. Uh, and then he died, I think it was a few months later. Uh, or maybe about a year later, I think he died. Started the fellowship, the, the Jim Wyrick fellowship. So uh, watch that talk. Watch the Boston RB Jim Wyrick talk and just think about what a great person he was. Yep, absolutely. I remember going to, I think it was RubyConf. And I don't remember where. Yeah. But yeah, we're sitting there chatting. And I'm like, so so what are you doing these days? Yeah. And he pulled out his phone and showed me a video <laughs> of him playing with those drones. Yeah. Yeah, he was very excited about it at the end there. Yeah. That was his that was his big thing. If you could only see what Ron Evans is doing these days with his ghost with his GoBot stuff, it's insane. Yeah, that's worth checking out too, I think. All right. Well, I've got a couple of picks. Uh the first one's a book. It's a book that I read and I have to look and make sure I get the title right. I really, 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 really deeply enjoyed it. It was Ultra Marathon Man by Dean Carnazes. Hmm. And uh I've kind of been an off and on runner. <laughs> More off than on, I guess. <laughs> I'm not. I'm uh, not going to say anything because I do have video of you. I'm not saying it. I think you look <laughs> fantastic, Charles. Well, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. He's wearing a top hat, a tuxedo. He looks. Yeah, the the bow tie uh, completes the uh, ensemble. I think <laughs> it really does. But yeah. Anyway, I really enjoyed the the book. Um, it's kind of a story about him just going and doing like crazy long runs and how that affects his lifestyle and what he wanted out of life. And uh, yeah, it really, it kind of hit me in a deep place because it's like, okay, you know, what, what do I really want to do? And you know, where, where do I really want to end up? And yeah, I think, I think at different points in life, we kind of get to that place where it's like, you know what, where I'm headed isn't where I want to wind up. And uh, I described one earlier. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll get there. Different points, to several times. Yeah, yeah. I've I've kind of been going through that at least over the summer. My dad passed away in April, so I'm sorry to hear that. that yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. But it definitely made me think about mm-hmm. what I was doing and where I was heading and what I was you know, doing, you know, doing with my lifestyle and things like that. So anyway, so and he ran cross country in high school and then you know quit running for a few years and then came back to it and it was. You know, I found this thing that just really fulfills me. Right. And, you know, for me, for a long time, that was coding. You know, now I spend a lot more time managing podcasts than writing code. And, you know, so I've been thinking, okay, you know, what is that thing that fulfills me? Is it, you know, 
Is it running? Is it, you know, is it going to be something crazy like what he does? Or is it right. something else? And the other thing related to this, I was having a conversation yesterday with another friend of mine. And he basically said, you've got to figure out why you're doing it for you. Because a lot of times, I think we have this idea that we can't do things just selfishly. Right. And so, you know, I kept trying to find these noble reasons for the things I was doing. And yeah, he said that and it just occurred to me, yeah, you know, if I really want it and I really enjoy it and it really, you know, gives me whatever benefits I'm looking for, that's fine. Yeah. And, you know, so I can have the selfish reasons for doing things. And what was interesting, especially because we were talking about health and it was yeah. like, yeah, you know, I go do all the, the health things for selfish reasons, but it does enable me to take care of other folks. Right. So if if I'm happy, if I'm fulfilled, and if I'm doing what I, you know, what what kind of lights me up, then then I have the energy and the wherewithal to go and light other people up. So. Yeah, you know, it's my in 2004 when I quit development, my brother who's four years younger than me thought I was insane. I think he still does for a lot of reasons. But uh, I said to him, you know, do what you do what you love, and the money will follow. And I've always tried to live my life by the do what you love philosophy. Um, yep. Because it's, it's a long life and I don't want to be... Unha- and I've worked those jobs. I worked those jobs just for money and they, they suck. <laughs> They're yeah. terrible jobs. I want to be passionate and excited about what I do. And like I said, I'm lucky enough. I found a career now. I found a... a, a you know, for right now, what works for my life, for my, my family, and what makes me happy is what I'm doing currently. And that's exciting and that's great. In two years, it might not be the same thing. I mean, so I might give up this wonderful lifestyle for what the thing I need in my life is next. Right. You don't you don't know. But I think you need to make yourself happy. And when you make yourself happy, when you find the careers and the jobs that you like, then that's that's when your life really begins. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, one last question. How do people find you online these days? That's a great question. I am Mark Bates pretty much everywhere. Uh, I'm Mark Bates on Twitter, GitHub, go for Slack, Mark, Mark Mark Bates on Medium. Geez, I don't know how many other ways do you need to. <laughs> so basically, if you see Mark Bates, then you you've seen me. I think it's pretty much the way it goes. I'm very unoriginal with my usernames. Right. Great for hacking. <laughs> yep. And you just have to make up the right password. Exactly. Wait a minute. How did you know my password is password? I thought it was monkey one two three. Oh shh. That's what it was. I had to change it the other day, and I couldn't use the previous. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming, Mark. It was fun to talk. Yeah, same here. Thanks for having me, Charles. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap this one up and we'll have more Ruby stories for you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.